Welcome to another episode of this Superhumanized podcast with me, your host, Ariana Summer. Superhumanize. Accelerated evolution. Today, we delve deep into the realm of pain, healing, and human potential. Today, we have the honor of hosting a true trailblazer in the field of chronic pain management, who has dedicated over two decades to deciphering the puzzle of the human body and unlocking the secrets to a pain-free existence. Rick Alderman is a sports and orthopedic physical therapist and previous clinic owner with more than 25 years experience that specializes in helping people with chronic pain transition to a pain-free life. Rick graduated with a master's degree from the Cranard School of Physical Therapy at the University of Indianapolis in 1996, and he is one of the top professionals in the U.S. when it comes to understanding recurring injuries and chronic musculoskeletal pain. His mission is to enhance quality of life by helping people fix their pain once and for all. His most recent book, Solving the Pain Puzzle, Cases from 25 Years as a Physical Therapist, introduces his unique approach to solving chronic pain by understanding the body as a system that both creates and solves pain. He has also written the popular Fixing You series of books to help people with chronic pain or recurring injuries. Recently, Rick has created digital home programs to help people solve their pain in the comfort of their own home. Rick is a true visionary, weaving together cutting-edge science, holistic principles, and a profound understanding of the mind-body connection to craft a paradigm-shifting methodology to liberate us from pain and guide us to a life of freedom. Prepare to be amazed by his insights, inspiring success stories, and his passionate commitment to enhancing the quality of life for countless individuals. summer and I have passionately dedicated the last 12 years of my life to creating the ultimate human experience mentally, physically and spiritually based on the most powerful ancient teachings and cutting edge modern discoveries and technologies. The Superhumanized Podcast is a show committed to sharing what I have learned from the world's leading experts in order to help you achieve your full potential and create your best life ever. Rick, welcome to the Superhumanized family. It is so wonderful to connect with you today. I'm very excited to speak with you today. Thank you, Ariane. We have a really important topic that we are going to take a deep dive in today, and that is pain, especially chronic pain. Um, I mentioned it before I hit record. I actually have quite a few people who are very near and dear to me who have been dealing with um, excruciating pain for many years. And I know this is likely something that will resonate with a lot of our audience today as well. I would like to start this conversation, Rick, with getting to know a little bit more about you. What inspired you to specialize in chronic pain and recurring injuries? Yes, it wasn't any desire on my part. <laughs> it was mostly driven by the fact that my schedule was so full of people with chronic pain. Mm -hmm. And so my first job out of uh, physical therapy school, I worked in a small rural community. 
And I was one of maybe two physical therapists there. And the majority of my schedule was with people with chronic pain. And very quickly, I learned that I did not have the tools to help these people. I had tools to help people with acute issues, strains, sprains, post-surgery, pre-surgery, things like that. But when it came to chronic pain, there seemed to be something different about what was going on with these people that I wasn't taught in school. And I was sunk into a deep depression because I felt that I was just a failure as a physical therapist. And so when I moved to Denver here, I went to work at an elite uh, health club in downtown full of well-to-do people with, who are young, strong, healthy, triathletes, all sorts of really accomplished athletes. And many of them had chronic pain. My schedule was filled immediately with people with chronic, nagging, recurring injuries, and so forth. And these, all of these people had been to you know, all the top docs, chiropractors, physical therapists, and so forth. And that's when I realized, oh my gosh, it's not just me who's failing people with chronic pain. It's medicine in general. And so I just realized I, I either have to quit physical therapy or I have to try and figure this out. And so that's what I've been doing the last 25 years. Yes. And very successfully so, Rick. I would like to hook in with a follow-up question because you just mentioned that there was something that you haven't been taught and neither have these other medical professionals who the people you met who had also had these nagging chronic pains. Of course, as you said, it was not only you who did not know. So can you explain what was missing and your unique approach to solving chronic pain? Because you also understand, you talk about the body as a system. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Prior to going into physical therapy school, I had back pain myself. I had extensive nerve damage in my neck and shoulder. I had chronic neck pain and so forth. So I was the guy who volunteered at the, every demonstration for back or neck pain. I would be the volunteer in my class who would get up and receive whatever treatments the instructors were giving and none of it ever helped me. But I had a, I had a deep feeling that something I was doing was creating my pain. I just didn't know what that was. And so that was my driving influence through PT school and even after PT school is what are these people doing that's causing their pain? And so what I learned in PT school was we are told that our treatment should be evidence-based treatment. So what that means is that there should be research supporting everything that we do to treat people. And so to qualify as valid research, we have to do double-blind studies. And so we have to be able to isolate a part of the body, test that, and then decide whether our hypothesis is correct or incorrect. That works really well for a lot of medical or medicine type of uh, research studies, even surgical types of research studies, but it doesn't work well for the human body because you can't say, isolate one back muscle and say, okay, I'm going to study this one back muscle. And you can't ignore all the other muscles in that area or all the other body parts that feed that area, right? So it's nearly impossible to study the body from a systems standpoint based on our idea that we need to generate evidence-based research. And so what happens is we generate a lot of research that's continually breaking the body down into smaller and smaller pieces. And I think of it as pixels, right? You can have all the pixels of a famous painting that you want, but if you don't know how that 
all those pixels need to be put together, you won't understand what the big picture is for that painting. And that's the way our research is that we're generating tons of pixels of understanding human function. But there's nobody that's stepping back and saying, but here's the big picture. Here's how all of that fits together. So I call this training component thinking because we are trained to break down the body into components, Mm -hmm. study that component, treat that component. And in acute cases, it heals. We do really great in medicine for acute cases, but this is not working for chronic pain issues. And so that's why I came up with this idea of systems thinking, which is completely different than component thinking. And that's what I call my approach to solving pain is understanding the body from more of a global standpoint, backing out. And that's basically what's going on with why medicine in general is failing, I think, chronic pain people and where I went with my direction to solve chronic pain. Mm. Do you think that is also partially rooted in the it's a much older view or understanding of the body actually also applied to nature, to the environment, where it is seen as a machine and instead of seeing it as this amazing system where everything is interconnected? Yeah, like everything, it's along a spectrum of being a machine and being interconnected. And like I said, looking at things from a machine standpoint, then that works really well for certain types of problems, right? But if you have a chronic, one of the driving ideas in me is that, wait a second, if we break a bone, that bone will heal. If we cut our hand, that skin and muscle will heal. So our bodies have this intrinsic ability to heal injuries. So why are we then having chronic pain? The, the obvious answer is we haven't identified the obstacle that's in the way of allowing the body to heal yet. Mm. And so what I've been looking for are all of these obstacles throughout all of these years and understanding what are we doing that, are, that is creating these obstacles to healing. And if we simply remove these obstacles, the body's natural functions take over and healing occurs very rapidly. So I would like to look talk about this in more detail about these obstacles. First, though, I would like to dissect from your perspective, from your experience, pain. So let's talk about the difference between, or how do you differentiate between acute pain and chronic pain in your practice? Yeah, someone in their wisdom identified acute pain as being any pain that's three months or less. And chronic pain has been anything that's more than three months. If you've had pain for two and a half months, I'm sorry, you don't have chronic pain yet. Of course, everything's on a spectrum and it it doesn't really matter how long you've had it because now I've learned to think of chronic pain as chronically acute issues that keep occurring because they haven't been identified yet. And pain itself Let's break this down for the audience. What is pain actually in essence? Yeah. Whenever someone talks to me about pain, it indicates that something is wrong with the body now. And if you solve that now, that pain will go away now. It's just if you had a splinter in your hand for 20 years and you pull it out and suddenly it feels better. That to me is an indication 
it, it won't take 20 years to pull out that splinter. It's just that no one's found that splinter yet. Mm-hmm. And once you remove it, then you will start your healing process. That's my take on what pain is. It's just a signal from your body that something is wrong now. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, it's nonspecific in terms of what that means. So that's where the search needs to come in is to uncovering the, the causes of, these, of this pain. Right. And okay. a lot of that, yeah, a lot of that is understanding what those causes are has a lot to do with the medical professional's belief systems. And fortunately, because I was such a failure as a physical therapist prior to figuring all this out, I wasn't, I didn't ascribe to a particular belief system as to what should be solving pain. So it allowed me to look more broadly. So the causes and the obstacles are, and of course the causes are very individual as are the obstacles, I imagine. So let's talk about some of the, maybe you can illuminate this via an example that you've had in the past with a client, with somebody who was suffering chronic pain, severe chronic pain for a long time. So causes can be, as far as I understand it, anything like, okay, I had an accident. My lumbar spine was injured. So that would be the basic cause for pain that I may have been dealing with for a while, right? I would see it differently. Because you didn't have pain prior to that accident doesn't mean your body was functioning correctly. Our bodies have many redundant systems. And so the fact that, and it's designed so that we can have many things going wrong with it and still function just fine. In fact, there's a lot of research out there that shows that many people with disc bulges, disc herniations, arthritic changes, stenotic changes, spondylolisthesis, have no pain at all. How can these structural changes occur and yet we still have no pain? So what I think of an accident as is a trigger instead of a cause. The cause of your pain is rooted much longer before that accident. You just hadn't had the trigger yet that caused the pain to begin. And so what the cause, yes, that I understand that. And what would the cause have been? Would the cause have been something structural and I just had not been aware of it yet prior to the trigger? Yeah. So let me take you through a little test to a kind of, this will illuminate everything that I'm talking about. All right. So most of the people listening probably have back pain or have dealt with back pain. So we're going to go through a really simple, it's going to be two tests to understand why they're having back pain and what they're doing that's contributing to it. And I think this will illuminate a lot of what we're trying to get to. So I'm going to use my little skeleton and to help demonstrate this. But for those of you just listening to it, I'll try and just describe what I'm talking about as, as well as I can. If we will, what I would ask everyone to do who's listening right now, whether you have back pain or not, is to lie down on the floor on your back with your legs straight. Mm-hmm. All right. Now, if you can't get down onto the floor, I'm, going all, to, I'm actually going to do this right now. So I'm great. You're for great. a minute. <laughs> Perfect. Yeah. You don't need to watch me. So just go ahead and do the test and just listen. So if you can't lie down on the floor with your legs straight, then lie, feel free to lie down on your couch or your bed instead. All right, so now your legs hopefully have been straight for 15 or 30 seconds. And you can even, if you want to, put your hand underneath your low back to feel the space between your low back and the floor. 
Okay, so we've done this. Now what I want you to do is I want you to bend your knees so your feet are flat on the floor. If you don't feel a change in your back there, go ahead and pull your knees up to your chest. Now, what we're doing is comparing your back pain in these two positions with either legs straight or with knees bent. And Ariane, how, which position makes your back feel better? Actually, the one where I pull my knees into my chest, that's also where my back is completely flat on the floor without a space. Exactly. So you can come and sit in your chair again, if you like, because we're about to go on to the next test. So you are, your answer is what 99.9% .9 of all the people listening to your podcast would also say. Oh, my back feels a lot better with my knees bent. They'd probably conclude that, oh, it's because my back is flatter. All right. Which is true, but that's not the whole. So the next test that we're going to do is going to show you how you are causing your back pain to occur. So go ahead and now stand up, everyone. And I'm going to ask you to stand here for maybe the next couple of minutes. All right. So we're standing up. And if it helps, check out what's the pictures on your wall, look out the window and just get comfortable and stand however you normally stand. Now, most of you standing will notice that if you're standing for more than a minute or two, that your knees are starting to lock backwards in a straightened position. So if they're not locked back yet, Go ahead and lock them backwards in a straight position and feel what your back is doing there. Mm -hmm. And if you're not sure, unlock your knees ever so slightly and feel what just happened to your back there. Okay. And if you're still not sure, lock the knees one more time back and feel what just happened to your back. What that just happened to your back during that little test? So when I locked my knees, the lower back felt like it's cramping up. When I unlocked my knees, it was a much more pleasant feeling. And I can see uh, what you said that I think naturally when we stand a lot, and especially for many people, especially women who choose to wear high heels, that's something that happens even more. Yeah. So what these tests are showing us is a real fundamental basic shape of your spine and what's causing that shape to be painful. So the first test is showing us that when your spine is more arched, you have more pain. Mm -hmm. And when your spine is flatter, you have less pain. Mm -hmm. The second test showed us that when you stand for anything longer than a minute or two, you're likely locking your knees backwards, which is then causing the spine to arch more. So this is more often actually happening when we're walking because we're walking a lot longer than we are standing around. Okay. So what this is showing us is that your natural habit of locking your knees, which your brain is identifying as just a normal habit, is the thing that's causing a big part of your back pain. And so simply by unlocking your knees for the next two or three days, your back pain, if you have back pain, will probably reduce by at least 50% just by changing your habits. What this is, and we can go into more detail about what's going on here, but that's I've identified two major patterns of issues that are causing almost all back and sciatic pain. This is one of them, and I call it an extension problem. And when I talk about something I'm doing that's causing my back pain, this is exactly the type of thing I'm talking about. I've been locking my knees all these years, and I never realized that was one of the things that's causing my back pain. Now that I know, I'm going to stop doing that. And it's like a miracle for a lot of people. In yep. fact, I saw a patient, I had a physical therapy clinic up until last year. And one of my last patients I saw there was a, an elite swimmer who developed back pain in her 
large university. No one could solve it. 15 years later, she came into my clinic, not for back pain, because she had completely given up on this. She came in for plantar fasciitis in both of her feet. She was in so much pain that if she went from standing to sitting, she would have to t- hold her breath and just close her eyes and try and get through that experience of just changing her body position. She had been to so many other practitioners and no one could solve it. And she was in so much pain, I couldn't even examine her. But I saw what the problem was just by watching her walk to my table. I asked her to just start unlocking her knees. In fact, I taped the backs of her knees to make sure that she wouldn't lock them again over the next three days. And she came in with the biggest smile on her face. Her back pain and plantar fasciitis were 75% reduced just in three days from this small change in habits. This is how powerful our movement system is to causing and curing our pain. That's outstanding, Rick. And it is so simple. And it's about awareness and just learning more about our body. Of course, you talk more in depth about this also in your book. Are there any other small tools or insights that people, of course, can find in your book, but that you may want to share right now? Also, uh, to to how about end. some big ones? How about some big ones instead of small ones? All right. <laughs> Okay, so we've identified just one of the major patterns that's causing pain, which is what I call an extension problem, that of too much arching. The second major pattern that's causing almost all unilateral back pain, sciatic pain, or SI joint pain, is what I call a side bending problem. And what that's identified is as a pelvis that's sitting higher on one side, and usually the same side ribcage is sitting lower, which then creates compression on that side of the spine. These nerve roots that are comprising the sciatic nerve. Why is this? And when we can resolve this pattern, a lot of that compression goes away and symptoms resolve. So why is this pattern happening in the first place? It's because of some older problem, usually in the same leg that hasn't been correctly rehabbed. And so what has happened is over time, your brain, it, it registers like a little pebble in your shoe, right? You don't want to walk on that pebble because it's painful, right? But your job is to get from A to B. So the brain does this little cool little trick and it says, oh, you're making me go from A to B, but you've got this pebble here. So what I'm going to do is I'm just going to slightly hike that hip up to pull, get you off that pebble. The muscles that are pulling the pelvis up are, this, are attaching to the ribcage, pulling it down. And that's what creates this pattern. And so all you know is that you don't hurt. But what you don't realize is that 10 or 15 years later, now you're dealing with chronic SI joint, sciatic, or unilateral back pain. In 80 to 90% of the cases, it's due to a same side problem. And this is often misdiagnosed as a leg length discrepancy. In 10 to 20% of the cases, it's due to a compensation from the other side of your body. Fascinating. (laughs) That's, yeah. That's incredible. So what actually, was there an aha moment for you when your entire view shifted with regards to pain? Yes. It was when I was treating someone with migraine headaches. And this story is actually in my Solving the Pain Puzzle book. And so she was a friend of ours and I I saw her for migraine headaches after an auto accident. And she had had them for years. And so I was working with her the same I worked with everyone else up until that point. And of course, her headaches went away and her neck pain and so forth. And I thought, oh, great. I'm a great physical therapist. But on her last appointment, what I decided to do was reproduce 
the stress from that car accident ever so gently. I just pushed down on her shoulder a little bit as if the seatbelt had done that. And she called me the next day to say that her migraines were back worse than ever. Worst case that she had in over a year of migraines. And so for the next three days, I was just racking my brains trying to figure out what just happened. Uh, and then the third day, I had this epiphany. I saw all of the anatomy of the shoulder girdle complex, the neck and the head. And I realized what the problem was. And it wasn't her head or neck. It was her shoulder. And that's when I learned to start looking further away from where the pain is felt and start understanding and looking more closely at the connections in the body as the potential sources of these problems. That's when I, that was my first epiphany. And I just ran with it from there. And so in her case, what happens, this hits close to home, actually. I know everybody and everyone's story is completely different, but I have a very dear friend who suffers from really bad migraines regularly, and he did have a frozen shoulder in the Mm -hmm. past and has some issues, of course, with the, uh, also with the cervical spine and lumbar spine. Uh, so in the case of your female friend, how did you approach this after you had the epiphany? Once I, I convinced her, and this wasn't an easy thing, I convinced her to see me one more time. <laughs> and she came over. And when I started, when, now that I understood that the shoulder was probably the source of her issue, then I looked at her shoulder for like the first time. And I'm just like, oh my God, her shoulder is not working correctly. So I, didn't, I wasn't sure how to fix that shoulder. But I thought, I've got to get this woman out of pain as quickly as possible. So what I did is I just... In my mind, I just created a taping technique to put her shoulder into a better position because I knew her body couldn't do it. And I didn't know what to do to fix the shoulder. I just knew it was broken. Something was broken there. And so I just taped it what I felt was a good position. And she called me the next day to say her migraine was completely gone. All of her neck pain was gone. She couldn't believe that I solved it. And so that was when I, then I started looking into more What's going on with the shoulder now? And we can go into a little bit more of that whole connection if you want to. Yes. But that's how I solved her issue. Absolutely. Yeah, and absolutely. I'd like to uh, go a little deeper into that particular connection because so many okay. people are dealing, whether it's migraines or the neck pain. And so what is the connection there with the shoulder? Yeah, yeah. So not to top my book too much, but I've got cases of this in this book to explain what these connections are, but we'll go over it. So. If we look at the body, okay, so for those of you just listening, I'm holding up a skeleton now. If you imagine that skeleton in your mind's eye, you'll probably think of all of these long, lanky bones that we have in our skeleton, long thigh bones, long leg bones, arm bones, and so forth, all right? But there are two areas of the body that don't have long bones. One of them is the pelvis. It's got a broad, flat bone. Almost everyone understands that the pelvis is the center of function for all lower body and lower back mechanics. The second area of our body is the scapula or the shoulder blade. That's another broad, flat bone. It also is the center of function for all upper body, neck, and head mechanics. Most of the people listening right now who are suffering with migraine headaches, neck pain, and so forth, their practitioner probably has never looked at their shoulder blade as the source of the problem. They've always been treating the neck and the head, which is a component thinking approach. 
The systems approach is understanding that the show, and there are rules about how the shoulder blade should be resting and moving that we can measure. But I can show you a really easy test to, to help you identify whether the shoulder is the cause of your neck pain or headaches. And we can go over that in just a second. So there are rules about how this thing should be resting and moving, just like there are rules about how the pelvis should be working. And there are significant muscular attachments from the shoulder blade into the neck and the base of the skull. And so if the shoulder blade isn't working correctly, stress is transmitted via these muscular connections to this neck and the base of the skull. I just had a couple of weeks ago, a guy with ridiculous symptoms, which means neurological symptoms down into his fingers. He had a herniated uh, disc in his neck and the surgeons wanted to operate on it. But he called me up because he, I just want to see if there's nothing else I can do. I don't want to have the surgery. In one week, his symptoms were 90% better. And so in medicine, we see, oh, you've got ridiculous symptoms then the problem must be in your neck. And lo and behold, they found that disc herniation. So from that standpoint, they were correct, but they didn't look further, far enough. Had they understood how the shoulder is affecting the neck, they would have seen that the shoulder was actually the issue that was causing the disc herniation that then caused the particular symptoms. We are not, we're not trained to think like this in medicine. This is what I'm saying. It, the component thinking versus the systems thinking, all right? We can also attach that shoulder position. I can show you how it connects even to the foot because we've already gone through that side bending problem that we talked about just a minute ago, causing unilateral back and sciatic pain. Part of that side bending problem is that the rib cage is sitting too low. The shoulder blade rests on the rib cage. So therefore, if you've developed a side bending problem where the rib cage is sitting too low, that automatically pushes your shoulder blade in an incorrect position too, which then feeds into the neck and the base of the skull. Mm -hmm. So this is why a lot of people say, I've got neck pain on my left side, and I also have sciatic pain on my left side. Do you think there's a connection? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. So this is basically how the shoulder girdle affects neck and head issues. This is fascinating, Rick. And you mentioned just a minute ago that there, or maybe this, I just was playing this in my uh, brain, but are there specific exercises or techniques that you find particularly effective for alleviating the types of pains we've just been discussing, whether it's migraines or the neck pain, or it could even go down to the foot via the shoulder? Oh yeah. Yeah. It, it, it's so simple. I'll, I'll give you one really easy one. All right. If you just, do you know the prayer stretch in yoga, you get on your hands and knees and you sit back on your heels. Yes. All right. Basically, you get on your hands and knees and your hands are roughly underneath your shoulders. So all you do is you keep your hands right there and you sit back on your heels. Your hands are still are then now overhead as you're doing this. Most people will feel a stretch in their shoulder complex when they're doing this. What they are doing is stretching muscles that are causing the shoulder blade to be in a dysfunctional position. That simple stretch alone, and you can also walk your hands to the left and to the right to, to get a deeper stretch. Walking your hands to the left and right will then start to stretch out the ribcage portion of the problem too. And most people with unilateral headaches or neck pain will notice that side of their ribcage is likely tighter than the other side when they do this, which should lead you to think, oh, if my ribcage is tighter, that means I must have a component from my leg that's feeding that ribcage problem. 
And then most, and then if you start thinking that'll make you think, oh, I wonder if this has anything to do with that old intro I had back in high school, blah, blah, blah. And, but I, that doesn't hurt anymore. It doesn't hurt anymore because your brain has compensated for it and caused the side bending problem to occur instead to get right. off of that. That's a really simple exercise that you can do to start seeing whether this is part of the problem for you. Mm-hmm. The way I do that is, let's say you have neck pain. I have people turn their heads to the left, look up, look down, and feel where and how much their neck is hurting. You do that simple little stretch. You stand back up and you turn your head left, up and down again. And I'll almost guarantee that your neck pain will be, or headaches will be reduced just after one or two sets of that simple exercise. This is excellent. Thank you, Rick. And what about people who are so stiff or in such, their bodies are just so accustomed to being in a certain position to override other issues and people who may not be able to do this stretch, mm-hmm. how can they work to getting into the stretch? So somebody who may not be able to lift or stretch their arms fully. So you can also do this sitting at your desk, mm-hmm. right? So just sit at your desk, slide your hands as forward as you can, and then scoot back in your chair to lower your head to the desk. And there you go. It's super Great. easy. Great. So you bring up a good point though, is that you mentioned stiffness. So stiffness is often thought of as tightness, but often it's not tightness. It's chronic tension and tightness both result in a shortened muscle. But if you stretch a short muscle, it will lengthen and stay lengthened. If you stretch a chronically tense muscle, it will lengthen temporarily and then retighten again. And so people keep saying, oh, but that my muscle keeps getting tighter. No, if your muscle keeps getting tighter, it's likely because you have a contraction pattern happening rather than a tight muscle occurring. And so chronic tension is a big driver of chronic pain as well. So how, and we can talk about this. Yes, please. How do we do you? I have not ever even heard about that. So how do we deal with chronic tension and how does it differ from stiffness physiologically, but also psychologically? Stiffness is a description of chronic tension. Mm-hmm. So if you are chronically stiff, it's likely you are chronically tense. And so again, the, the ideal test would be if you stretch a muscle and it keeps getting tight again, it's probably a tension issue rather than a tight muscle issue. All right. So this is part of my search. Uh, while I was trying to understand chronic pain, I uncovered uh, Thomas Meyer's work with anatomy trains. Have you ever heard of him? No, I have not. Okay. So he wrote a book called Anatomy Trains and he is a fascia researcher and he identified super high, fascia is connective tissue in the body. It connects our bones to muscles, it holds our nerves in place, blood vessels. It's everywhere, even down into cellular uh, changes in the cells. So it's the glue that holds everything together and connects everything to everything and suspends everything in place. So you can't get away from dealing with fascia. All right. Thomas Myers has identified super highways of fascia that run from the head to the toes. And they are occurring in different patterns in the body. There's a back line, there's a side line, there's a spiral line, there's a front line. All right. So it turns out that uh, chronic tension is occurring along these fascial superhighways. This is what I learned in the Hanosomatics course that I took too. So Hanosomatics identifies 
chronic tension as a neurological phenomenon that's usually due to a reflex pattern in the body. It just turns out that those reflex patterns are all along these fascial lines. So Hannah Somatics does a great job at solving chronic tension issues. The reason chronic tension is happening is due in part to how we're using our bodies, like locking our knees, like we found a little while ago, or how we're using our shoulder blades to create posture or things like that, how we bend over, how we walk, all sorts of things are causing chronic tension patterns in the body. The tension is derived from the brain though. The brain is holding this tension because of how you're using your body. Oh, you're going to do this with your body and you're going to do that every day. Okay. Why don't I just make that area tense? And so I don't have to relax it and then contract it and then relax it all the time. Since you're doing this so often, I'm just going to keep it tense. That's how it works in a nutshell. Therefore, in order to release the chronic tension, you have to use your brain. It has to be part of the solution. Simply stretching a muscle doesn't involve the brain. The brain needs to contract that tension pattern and then be in control of releasing the tension pattern. What that does is it uses certain cortical spinal tracts coming down the spine that then override the stretch reflex phenomenon and allow the muscle to lengthen more permanently. So that's how you release chronic tension in order. And that's the difference between tension and tightness. But again, you can release all the tension you want, but if you don't solve how you're using your body, that's causing that tension in the first place, then you're just going to come right back to the tension pattern again. Mm -hmm. And by the way, the, the tension isn't only from movement habits. It's also from, can be from trauma. Yes. It can be from psychological stress, anxiety. It can also be from things that we eat and our body's reaction to that. Allergens, molds, all sorts of things can cause chronic tension in the body, usually along these fascial superhighways. Really fascinating, Rick. Um, something that I'm sure a lot of people in the audience would like to know, and again, acknowledging that every body in every situation is different, but let's say somebody starts working with you, how long does it usually take to see a positive effect, especially with somebody who may have been dealing with chronic pain for, let's say, 15 years and have tried everything? And how sustainable would that effect be, provided they keep working with the methods that you teach? Yeah, I expect immediate results. So I expect within, just like we talked about that chronic neck pain with the little stretch on the floor, or unlocking your knees, that is instant change in your back tension. You felt it yourself when you stood up, right? Yeah. So if you just simply remove the hammers that you've been hammering your body with, your body starts feeling better immediately. So after my first session of working with people, I expected 30 to 50% reduction in pain within a day or two, if they're doing what I'm asking them to do. So the nice thing is that I've created these digital home programs so that people don't have to work with me directly because you, they don't need to. What I've learned is that the, the problems that most people are facing are occurring in patterns. Mm -hmm. And so the same pattern, for instance, that extension problem usually occurs with the side bending problem. And so these patterns in one person might cause central low back pain, but in another, they'll cause unilateral back pain. In a third, they're going to cause sciatic pain. In a fourth, they're going to cause SI joint pain. 
but it's all due to the same pattern of issues. So that's what I learned only in my clinic for the last 10 years is that I got to see all of my therapists because I've trained all of my therapists in the systems thinking. And so I got to see everything, how all of their patients were responding to this too. And then that's when it dawned on me, holy smokes, we don't have to start from zero every single time. This is a pattern. And so that's when I created my digital home programs to address these patterns that are occurring. Excellent. The home, yeah, please yeah, share about the program. Well, the home programs also address the tension pattern. So there's a somatics part of the program, as well as stretching tight or strengthening weak muscles that have occurred because of your movement habits. So there's that, there's the chronic tension, and then there's the movement habits, of course, that we need to identify and change too. And then what I've also learned is that some people need a little bit of tape to help support their body because their brain is incapable of making the changes necessary right off the bat. So I use tape and I've developed unique taping techniques like the one I just described with the shoulder blade, put the body into a better alignment immediately until you're able to do it yourself, which usually takes a couple of weeks. Is the taping technique also something that is included with the teachings of the home programs? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Because it's all part of the same thing, right? It's movement, it's tension, it's tighter, weak muscles, and then it's taping to support your body to get you where you need to go. It's like a nudge in the right direction. And mm -hmm. most people respond with the taping techniques feeling almost immediate relief because mm -hmm. their body is finally doing what it's supposed to do. Mm-hmm. And so the one thing is physical therapy and learning more about your body and basically resetting certain things. What role does mindset and psychology play in managing chronic pain and how do you address these aspects in your practice? This approach is so different than other practitioners' approaches. Being their practice, they're usually approaching things from this component-taking standpoint. They become anxious, they become depressed, they become stressed mm -hmm. uh, because of their lack of success. So I recognize those things are happening, but I don't believe that is the source of the pain. It, it could have, it could later become a source of pain, right? And contribute to it, but it's not the core reason why they're in pain. Mm -hmm. And so what I have found is that fixing the system is so reliable that if someone is not responding within two or three sessions, my treatments, then I start looking at potential anxiety, psychological, emotional issues, dietary issues, allergens, and molds. But the results are so consistent, it allows me to jump to those kinds of conclusions right off the bat. And also, by the way, when I work with someone individually, one of the assessments I'm making is their psychological being while I'm watching them use their body, because I can see whether someone has excessive tension just by how they're responding to my touch, how they move and so forth. That's just something I keep on the back burner. And I say, maybe if I need to, I'll address that. Let's fix the musculoskeletal issues first. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I would say probably 95% of the cases, I never have to deal with the psychological, emotional or dietary issues that could potentially be causing tension because most of it's all derived from movement habits. Great. That's very encouraging. And something that I wanted to mention when you shared this exercise is a prayer stretch with us, which is, of course, comes from 
yoga, I have noticed, I have put that together like a puzzle piece years later. But for example, I used to have chronic pain on the left side of my neck and I was always doing this cracking sound for years. And I started uh, practicing yoga when I was four years old when I lived in New Delhi in India. And it was always on and off in my life. And one day I just started practicing yoga again. And within, I think within just uh, three weeks or so, actually, and ever since, that cracking and the pain on the left side is gone. So I'd like to, and yoga has also helped me personally a lot with certain back pain that I'd been having. So I'd like to know your thoughts on the use of complementary alternative uh, therapies or whether it's acupuncture or massages or practices such as yoga for the management of chronic pain. I'm behind all of that. However, if you understand, let's talk about yoga for a second. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Let's say that you just discovered what you did, that your back hurts more when it's arched and hurts less when it's flat. If you think back to your yoga practice, half of the exercises allow your spine to flex mm -hmm. and half of them ask you to arch your back more. This is the thing is that yoga is a nonspecific because it involves, for instance, arching and flattening of the, of the spine all in one session. So that's why it feels good for a lot of people and it helps relieve a lot of their pain. My belief is if you understood exactly or more precisely what is causing your pain, your yoga practice could be even better because then you would uh, avoid or at least not do as deeply yes. the arching stuff that hurts your back that you know is going to hurt your back already. Absolutely. And you know what? I actually have been modifying that already for years. For example, I do not do Cobra, not at all, or it's yes. so very modified. Or also when it's about the Chaturanga, I, mm. the up dog. I'm very Absolutely. mindful of how does my body feel today? Does this feel good or not? Sometimes I completely forego it. I, I right have done that. But now knowing what you have taught me today, I actually can put some something intellectual behind this as well. Knowledge, real knowledge, and not just an intuition, yes. which is valuable in itself. But That's what it's all about is putting you in control of everything. Yeah. If the problem is, we haven't been given the information we need to judge an activity, whether it's going to be good for us or bad for us, mm -hmm. because we've only been looked at from this component standpoint, isolation of a tissue rather than understanding how the body works as a system. Mm -hmm. And most of these complementary forms of exercise you're talking about are systems movement, but you've had no training or preparation in systems ideas to know whether that is a good thing or what parts of it are good for you or not. So I, I wanted to bring up, we, I, I mentioned that I was going to show you this neck pain because this will help you understand your neck pain since you're talking about yoga with it too. All right. This is a really easy test folks. So if you have neck pain and I've got my skeleton again. So if you have neck pain, what I want you to do, you're going to need a helper or right? you won't be able to do it right now. All right. What you'll do is Let's say you have neck pain. You're going to turn your head left and right, up and down, just like we mentioned before with the child's pose exercise. And you're going to assess to what degree your pain is being felt. You're going to have the helper come up behind you and they're going to put their hands in your armpits. I call this the armpit test. 
And what they're going to do is they're going to lift up your armpits by about a half to half inch or an inch higher than normal. And your job is to relax your shoulders completely into their hands. Let them hold you. So they're going to, they might have to jiggle your shoulders a little bit like this to get that to happen. Then what you're going to do while they're holding their, your shoulders up is they're, you're going to turn your head left and right up and down again to test your neck pain. I would say 99% of the people out there will say that their neck pain is significantly reduced when someone is holding their shoulder blades up for them. What is this telling us? That the shoulder blades are, are the largest source of their issue, especially if they can feel an immediate reduction in just 30 seconds of a test. Think about what that could mean if their shoulders were fixed all day long. So there are a subset of people out there that are under so much tension though, and in so much pain, they can't relax their shoulder blades into the hands. And so they say, oh, I don't feel any difference. Then that person removes their hands, allows the shoulder blades to come back down. And even those people will say, oh my God, my neck's hurting again. I didn't realize it wasn't hurting until you put the shoulder blades back down again. So that confirms that the shoulder blade is the source of the issue for your chronic neck pain and headaches. And to be honest, in the last 20 plus years I've been practicing, I can't remember the last patient I've seen, this wasn't the source of their pain because no one else is looking at it. That's why they're having chronic neck pain and headaches in the first place. The reason I went into that is because the most common problem with the shoulder blade is that it's resting too low. That's why this test will relieve pain immediately because you're bringing them higher. In yoga, what is often taught and is that you should bring your shoulder blades down and back into their opposite back pockets to improve your posture. So I don't believe that this is a true original yoga. I believe it's bled into yoga from dance because dancers are trained to create a long, graceful, beautiful neck. Mm-hmm. The way they do that is they depress their shoulders to get there. This is why most dancers develop chronic neck pain and headaches that actually preclude them from dancing in the future. This is bled into yoga and Pilates. And if you watch gymnasts, when they raise their arms up in the air, they are depressing their shoulders and arching their backs because it's all tied together. And you'll feel it right now. If you just go ahead and squeeze your shoulder blades together, you'll feel that your back is arching automatically. Yep. So this, and we've already identified that arching your back is one of the things that's causing your back pain. So your posture strategy with your shoulders is actually contributing to your back pain and your neck pain and headaches. So again, your neck probably feels better in yoga because some of the exercises are getting you to stretch that child's pose motion. But then if your instructor is ending the session with this cue to squeeze your shoulder blades together or bring the shoulder blades in their opposite back pockets, that's negating the benefits that you just got from the rest of the yoga. So I can show you a, a better way to achieve posture if you're interested. Yes, please. Yes, please okay. So if we look at the skeleton again, we'll see that the shoulder blades rest on the outside of the rib cage. Therefore, they should not have a role architecturally in creating posture. Their role is to help the arm move away from the body, not create posture. The core muscles are the ones that are, should be creating posture. But unfortunately, no one knows how to make that happen correctly. So I've come upon over the last 20 years, a nice method to teach this. 
So we put one hand on our chest and one hand on our belly. And we take a nice deep breath in and you'll feel your rib cage lift and you exhale and you'll feel your rib cage lower again. Okay. This time, go ahead and breathe in again. Feel the rib cage lift. This time when you exhale, you can exhale all the way, but don't let the rib cage lower all the way. It can lower 99.9% of the way, but I want you to hold it up one millimeter higher than what you would normally do. And what you'll notice is that your stomach muscles have just engaged ever so slightly to help you do this. It's probably about a 5% engagement, maybe 10 max. This is your core holding up your rib cage and posture for you. That's why we have so many core muscles and so many layers of them and why they're so broad and strong. This is how it's designed to work. The second part of this then is to bring your shoulders down by your sides and roll the shoulders around and get those shoulders completely relaxed like two dangling ropes by your sides. And you'll notice that when you relax your shoulders, you just let go of your core too. And that's because you've tied posture strategies to shoulders rather than core. So your training will be to learn how to relax your arms, yet feel the core engage ever so slightly to hold the ribcage up. And I want to caution people, I'm not asking people to contract their core muscles. If you just hold your posture in a better position, your core will activate naturally like it did in this example. More is not better. If you contract your core even more, then all you're going to do is cause more compression and strain in your back. It's not going to feel good. So your body knows just how much it needs. You just need to get out of the way. Excellent. And a lot of it is really, this is so interesting doing these exercises with you, Rick, because there's an awareness, a connection, a reconnection, if I can say so, that is occurring between the brain and the body. I feel myself in a completely different way. Yes. And that's key of the healing as well, to actually really feel ourselves. Can I explore? I know we're running out of time, but I'd like to throw one more example of this to help drive this point home. Because this is, you're hitting on a key point of what it means to change how you use your body. So this is a real simple one. Just clasp your fingers together as if you're praying. Now look down and see which thumb is on top. Which thumb is it for you? Left thumb. Okay, left thumb. Now without looking at your hands, and folks do this at home because this will really help you see what a major problem is in your pain. We're going to unclasp our fingers without looking at them. You're going to reclasp them, but with the opposite thumb on top this time. Okay. Now, some of you might have looked, peeked down and checked to see that you did that correctly. So go ahead and now look at your thumb and make sure that the right one is on top. Okay. Now keep your hands like this for just a few seconds. Your brain is getting a signal that this is different than how you normally do it. There's another part of your brain that's saying, because it's different, it's wrong. It's judging it as being a wrong thing to do. But it's, that's just a judgment and alert that's set up in your brain because you're now doing something different than you, what you've trained it to do. What if you understood or learned that clasping the fingers like this solved your pain? Then your brain would still get the alert that something is different, but now that different thing is right. Similar to when I asked you to unlock your knees, you got a similar alert that this is different and you judged it as being wrong. I don't like this. This is different than how I've done it. But your brain doesn't know that is the thing that's causing your pain. Once your pain starts to subside, then you'll get the message that this is right. 
And so when we change how we use our bodies, these are the types of messages that we have to start separating in our brain. Different doesn't mean wrong. Different could mean you'll only know once you start trying. Beautiful. And thank you for sharing this What I actually think is a practice. And as more, the more we practice this, the better and the more we open up the potential for ourselves to heal. Rick, thank you so much for your time and all these brilliant insights. I know you've helped countless people become happier and more functional or fully functional again. For those in our audience who'd like to learn more about you or reach out, where can they do so? The easiest way would be to go to rickolderman.com. Excellent. And I will also put this in the show notes as well as the home programs and, of course, a link to your most excellent book. Rick, thank you again so much. It was a true pleasure talking to you today. I had a lot of fun. Thank you. Superhumanize. Accelerated evolution.